Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com, to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest today is Amy Lacey, founder of Cauliflower Foods. Cauliflower makes craveable comfort food that's always low carb with simple fresh ingredients and no fillers. That includes pizzas, crusts, flatbreads, crackers, and full-on entrees. We discuss why Amy became an entrepreneur, how she created a cauliflower pizza recipe that wasn't brittle and didn't fall apart, her approach to brand and sales early on, why she decided to partner with a retail-focused investor as opposed to an e-commerce-focused one, how they changed their packaging when they entered stores, and much, much more. Without further ado, here's Amy. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. I have been enjoying listening to past guests. I'm so relating to people that you've interviewed with. So I can't wait to get started and talk about the journey that Cauliflower Foods has been on. First of all, thanks so much for listening. Really means a lot. I know we've been trying to get you on the show for the past few months, so I'm so excited that we were finally able to make it happen. Yes. This is going to be great and really fun to chat. Thank you. Starting from the very beginning, Amy, what was your initial attraction or start in entrepreneurship? So when I was 14, I created my own babysitting service and swim lessons, and that's where it really started. And I got a taste of what it's like to market to people and be your own boss. And then after that, I worked for corporate after college. And then when I had my kids, I was a stay-at-home mom, but I was still having the itch to have my own business. So I did an online children's store in 2002, and that really gave me the creative desire to keep doing things on e-commerce. I love being the flexibility that that brings and being able to reach a lot of people. So I swayed away from it a little bit about 10 years later, and I actually brought some medical lasers over to New Zealand, which is where my husband's family's from. And I just saw a need, and I knew that the entrepreneur that had created the lasers, and I saw a need over in New Zealand for those. They were actually lasers to treat onychomycosis. Do you know what that is? I do not, actually. <laughs> it's toenail fungus. Which is, oh, wow. Which is really gross. But <laughs> New Zealanders are very active, and a lot of them get toenail fungus. And the only thing at that time that was available is a prescription drug that really had terrible side effects. So I saw a need there. I had a friend that created the laser. And so we bought a couple lasers. I partnered with uh, my cousin by marriage and we ended up working with a podiatrist that had 10 different locations in New Zealand and really just killing it, doing really well. And then I sold that off to her because the kids were little and it was too hard to go back and forth from New Zealand. And after that, I became sick. Actually, I got really sick. And I became a life and health coach to really heal myself. And that's where my journey into eating grain-free, gluten-free foods came about. That's amazing. Talk to me a little bit about maybe your nutrition journey and when you started to think about cauliflower or doing some experimentations with cauliflower and pizza. Like I told you, I was a life and health coach and I was really, I had gotten myself healthy 
And I was really trying to pay it forward and just coach people on how to do things. I wasn't a nutrition or exercise coach. I just literally was teaching people how to use food as medicine. And we were doing these healthy happy hours every Thursday night, which doesn't mean happy hours with alcohol. It meant like healthy foods, healthy smoothies. And I had found, I used to do Friday family fun night, which was either games and pizza or a movie and pizza with my kids. I have three kids. And when I got really sick, I wasn't able to eat the pizza. I could tell that I was really inflamed on Saturday morning. So that was the first thing I was looking for was a healthy pasta and a healthy pizza. And I came across a recipe that I found online for this cauliflower pizza crust. And I was very skeptical because I didn't eat cauliflower. I didn't even really like cauliflower. And as you know, before the cauliflower craze, cauliflower is like the last lone ranger standing on a veggie tray at a party or a Super Bowl party or wherever you're at. I mean, nobody ate the cauliflower. And at the grocery store, it was just a head of cauliflower. Nobody was doing cauliflower rice or any of that. So we experimented. People, my clients and my other health coaches' clients love the cauliflower pizza crust and the zucchini noodles. So we were serving those at every healthy happy hour. And um, that's how I discovered cauliflower. And the amazing thing about cauliflower is it's so bland. It takes on whatever flavors you put with it. So I was really impressed with the vegetable when I first started working on it. But the first couple pizzas I made fell apart, probably about nine of them. And then I discovered, actually, my daughter's like, why don't you try the juicer? We had a juicer. We were making juices and stuff. And I said, oh, that's a great idea because we weren't able to get enough of the water out just using cheesecloth and it was falling apart. So we used the juicer and it was consistent every time and it was amazing. I was just about to ask, how were you, had you first, when you were thinking about turning cauliflower into dough-like when it came to a pizza, how were you able to work with cauliflower? Because it is so brittle. So the juicer was really like the mechanism that actually was able to get the water out and then be able to actually use it as proper dough. Yes. And you can add things to it. I wasn't doing this at the time. I wasn't adding almond flour, but I was adding cheese as a binder and egg as a binder. So really the egg was the the binding ingredient to make it more dough-like. And you're just doing this kind of experimenting. Were you at all thinking about that this could be a business or just something that could be helpful to clients? How are you kind of thinking about it? Just helpful to clients. And then one of my clients is like, where I lived in Northern California, a farmer's market was a really big deal. So one of my clients was like, you should take this to farmer's market. And we did. And it, it blew up at farmer's market. And a couple local grocery stores picked us up. Again, nothing's in the stores anywhere but ahead of cauliflower at this time. And we just discovered that people really wanted it. I started getting calls before farmer's market to pick it up at my house. So I was getting a cottage license. I got so busy. We actually spent Christmas that year. That was 2016 in New Zealand. And I had one person helping me, a friend that was helping me. She was actually my esthetician. (laughs) She was helping me and she called me while I was in New Zealand. And she said, have you seen the sales? And I wasn't really paying attention. I had a Shopify website we mostly sold in the grocery store, local grocery store, a local restaurant picked us up and then farmer's market. And we just started selling like crazy from this one ad that we put out on Facebook. And in January, 2017, we sold more in one month than we had the entire two years previous with the business. So I knew we hit something 
And it just kept building up. And by the end of that year, 2017, we had done over 5 million and had not burned a dime building the 5 million sales on e-commerce, which we quickly had to put in systems and find co-packers. I mean, we just grew so fast, so quickly. So what came first when you first started what became Califlower? Did you first start by looking at D2C online channel or did you first start in the actual farmer's market itself? So we first started in farmer's market and then a couple grocery stores picked us up. And then I said, let's put this online and see what happens. And when we went to farmer's market, we had the zucchini noodles. Nobody was doing that yet. You could make the zucchini noodles. The tools were out there, but there was you couldn't buy them already done in the grocery store. So we did the zucchini noodles and we did the cauliflower pizza crust. And we had two flavors when we went to farmer's market. We had our sweet red bell pepper and then our traditional original Italian. And I was like, okay, I can take one of these products to e-com, but I can't take both because it's going to take a lot of money. And so I picked the cauliflower pizza crust because it was really hard to make. And I thought that would be easier to provide to my consumer. And we loved it so much because the pizza crust was so versatile. You could make tacos, you could do it, you could use it as bread. So it seemed like the better product to take to market. When you first started like sales doing really, really well for cauliflower. Online, it's booming. And of course, I imagine the zucchini is still selling really well in stores or were you in stores as well with zucchini or no? No, we never launched the zucchini in stores. It's really expensive to launch a product. So I had to pick one of them because I, I was funding it myself. And I picked the cauliflower pizza crust because it was hard to make. And I figured it's going to be hard People will want to buy it because it'll be hard for them to make. And it was more versatile. There's a lot you could do with it. Totally. That makes sense. And in 2017, you're at 5 million in sales. Is that right? A little over. Yes. Without burning any money. So yeah. Had a very small team, mostly focused on e-com. Um, we really shared our customers and their success stories by using our product. And one of those stories went viral. And that's how we started really selling a lot. And we didn't really have any competitors. There was one other cauliflower pizza crust out, but they named themselves basically a veggie pizza. And so they weren't a cauliflower pizza. And then they soon changed to cauliflower pizza. But we didn't have any main competitors when we first launched. So I think that's one of the reasons why we boomed so quickly and grew so quickly. But 2018 was an incredible year as well. We, we grew to over almost 20 million actually. And we were the number one pizza crust on Amazon for multiple months. We beat out Boboli and several pizza crusts. We weren't just the number one cauliflower crust. We were the number one pizza crust. Wow, that's incredible. The number one pizza crust. I mean, yeah. it, also, it also is quite, quite fascinating too, just overall consumer preference changes. That the number one pizza crust, you know, online, yes, it was you and that's, you know, incredible, but it's pretty within like the better for you space. I mean, I've been better for you space, just in the overall space. When it came to pizza dough, a lot more people were buying, you know, cauliflower uh, pizza dough versus normal pizza dough. The category has grown massively. I mean, there's just so many cauliflower products out there. So like I said, when we launched, there was one other company out there that called themselves the veggie pizza. But there wasn't a lot of our major competitors that we have today weren't, didn't exist yet. Got it. You're benefiting a lot from being first to market, which is amazing. And I also think it's really impressive that 
Even though what you were previously saying about how you weren't spending a dime on marketing, or were you? We weren't using a marketing agency yet, but once the Facebook ad that we did went viral, and it was of a story of an actual client that really benefited from eating gluten-free and grain-free and low-carb, once we, we shared that story, we saw the benefit of using ads online as well as email. We started using email and growing our email list. How also do you think, you know, I had on Madeline Hayden, who is the founder of NutPod. Do you know her well? Yeah, love her. Awesome. I run into her a few times and she actually introduced me to Circle Up, which was our first investor as a bridge loan. And I love those guys so much. And Madeline really helped me. So many people say this, like if you don't have experience, surround yourself with people who have been there and done that before. And I consider Madeline a mentor, definitely. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Huge fan of Madeline and and really appreciate her on uh, having her on. One of the things that I thought was maybe the beauty about selling online and e-commerce is that kind of customer feedback wheel being so quick with reviews. And she said that it helped her so much when she then went into retail. I know you were first in retail before, you know, online, but you were in a couple stores. But with Madeline, she said it helped finalize the packaging, what the right terminology that customers were really resonating with. Um, and I'd love to hear your perspective of with this idea about getting the customer involved and what you learned from the Story Brand uh, Summit or conference that you attended. How did you kind of include the customer on your journey? Or just it could be learnings that you saw through feedback that actually maybe iterated the product or the branding for Cauliflower. Yeah, absolutely. So we were early on just in a couple local stores. So as soon as we started getting multiple customers online, right away, we were doing survey monkeys. We were asking them to reach out and tell us what they wanted, uh, what we could do to improve the product, how the product came to them. Were they 100% satisfied? I mean, almost every single customer had some kind of touch from us, whether it was an email or it was me writing a handwritten note to them. And then we really studied the data. And I think data is really important to prior to going into grocery because you do get instant feedback from e-commerce. So I looked at our repeat customer rate, our open rates on our emails, what was happening in our ads. Every single person that commented on Facebook or Instagram was responded to immediately by our team. I had several people working on those 24-7, and just studying the data of Shopify and who was buying and their repeat purchases. And one of the things we learned is people would buy a starter pack. We had a starter pack. And then those same people would come back and buy like three times the amount. So our starter pack might have been $45 because e-com is expensive because of the shipping. And then that same customer would come back and buy over $80, over $90, over $100. And then some customers were buying multiple times a month. So we really paid attention to those customers. We thanked them. We asked them their opinion on what they wanted and really try to focus our new products based on our customer feedback. No, that's great. I know that you you hinted at Circle Up uh, coming in as your bridge round. What point did you decide to raise venture capital and why that was the right move for the company? So early on, I was really scrappy. I mean, I had 
no money. I was putting all the money back into the business. I had hired a bunch of my friends to come alongside me. They were really passionate about the brand. They treated it like it was their own business. We went on a whirlwind tour of um, the cast of Hamilton was using our product. So we started doing pizza parties for them in New York. Uh, we went to the SBs, the Emmys, the Teen Choice Awards. We were a pizza in the background like the night before the event. Um, met a lot of celebrities that loved our product, started promoting it. So we were growing even faster because of all of that publicity. And I lived in Northern California. That's where our business, our home office was at the time. And we also had a little mini pizza bar inside of a grocery store that we were doing as well. And so the campfires that hit Northern California, the town of paradise, and that was November of 2018. And that really affected my family. Although I didn't live in paradise, I lived about 20 minutes away. My family was in my house. I was actually down in LA doing some a work project, an influencer project. And I flew emergently home to, and I couldn't even get to my house. But that whole, well, I mean, we were using N95 masks for months because the air quality was so bad. So I had a taste of what it's like to wear a mask uh, for months before COVID ever hit. And it really prompted me to think, okay, I'm the CEO and the CFO, and really my team's the CMO, and I'm gone a lot, and my family needs me. So I had already been offered by a couple people, like low offers, like, well, it sounds great now, and I, I sometimes think I should have taken it, but I had somebody offer me at um, Fancy Food $10 million to buy my product to take over the company. And I turned them down because we were doing almost 20 million. And I started thinking, well, there's a, there's a lot of people that are interested in this product and maybe it's time for me to get some help. And then the thing that really sealed it is I got a call one day from Walmart. Now I didn't reach out to them. I didn't, I had one sales rep, but they called me. So I flew out to Bentonville and I was kind of like, I don't think our product's a Walmart product. We were in Whole Foods, Southern California, and quite a few Southern California stores by now. And I thought, I just don't think it's the right right fit, but I, it's Walmart and they're calling you, right? So I, of course I have to go. And I went and they had a new buyer and she was a very young buyer and she paid a lot of attention to influencers. And we had an influencer named Erin Opria. She's actually been in People Magazine and she charged me very little because she was so passionate about the brand, did a lot of non-paid promotions of the brand. And so I ended up hiring her as an influencer and that buyer at Walmart loved Erin Opria. She is the trainer to several country stars. Country, uh, She lives out in um, Nashville. So like Carrie Underwood is her client and a lot of very famous people. And so this buyer loves her, had been watching her, learned about our product from her and then picked up the phone and called us. And when I went out there, she said, I want you to be in every Walmart store and I want all of your SKUs in Walmart. And by then we had four different crusts and we were in the process of bringing in crackers and pasta. And in our restaurant, we were serving lasagna and enchiladas. And so I knew I had no experience. I also knew that you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. And I knew this was going to be a big PO. And I thought, okay, I've got a great co-packer now. I've got production set up like John from Sonoma brands. I did a, a handshake deal with a couple people and got burned. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, I was like, okay, when he was talking about that, I'm like, oh, been there. <laughs> so actually, one of the handshake deals cost me in the long run $650,000 to have them go away. I don't believe in suing people. And I had lawyers say you need to, you need to sue. I just think it's too much negative in- energy and time. And I've been sued by another brand in the space. And I just don't believe in putting your energy in there. Negative energy comes back negatively. But anyways, when I got the Walmart contract, I was like, okay, I've got fires and my family living in my house with all their pets. And I've got this PO and I'm out of my league. And my team were out of our league. So that's when I thought, okay, I need to start meeting with people. And I don't want just money because I feel like I'm really set with the money part because the business was doing so well. But I want strategy. I need some help. And I had a great advisor. I mean, I always recommend surrounding yourself with people who have been there and done that. I had Bob Burke was one of my advisors. He's on our board. He was amazing. And I just felt like it was time to go out there and look for a strategic to help me and to help me grow. And Steve Hughes had reached out to me. He saw an article about us and he had actually reached out to me when we were about a $5 million brand. And I had a great conversation with him. And a year later, he asked me to come out to their uh, Boulder home office. So I went out there and met with their team. And Steve was not an investment banker. His partner is, but he wasn't. And of course he's built, he's like an icon in the industry. You've interviewed him and he had built healthy, yeah, healthy choice. He built Boulder brands. I think he was heavily involved in celestial seasonings and Tropicana juice. So, and Steve is really open and he shares a lot about what he's done and who he is. And he kind of wooed me over in the meeting. Like he, he did a lot of talking and he, he shared a lot of success and some of, he was very humble, shared some of his downfalls, which I had already had, like some of the things I had done cost me some money. I made mistakes because we were growing so fast. I had just got a contract also from Abrams Publishing in New York, which was probably, we were really busy in California and New York. So I was going out to New York a lot and I was doing a cookbook and I thought, okay, I'm really distracted by the cookbook. I really need a strategic partner. So that's what I looked for. And that's what I found. I really appreciate you sharing that and the reason why you look for strategic. So remember when we first spoke, there was another fund that was much more e-commerce oriented, right? Yes. That were also looking to make an investment in you. Was part of the rationale to partner with you know Sunrise uh, Strategic Partners or a fund that obviously had a ton of retail experience is because there's only so far you can go online at that point. And that really, if you want to be a massive mm-hmm. brand and create the most impact, you have to go through retail or kind of, oh, well, let's learn a little bit more about your decision-making process. Yeah. So it was really tough. I was very excited about this other team. Not sure I can say who they are, but I'll just tell you they were the major investor in Chewy.com. And they have a ton of e-coms experience, yes. And I loved the person that I met there as well because he told me about a story where he turned down an early, early, early uh, an opportunity to invest in Facebook and he turned it down. And he said, I'll never make that mistake again. (laughs) So, and they had done the deal with Chewy.com and that turned out to be an amazing deal. He offered me more money than what Sunrise had offered. And so I had to think about it a lot. But again, I had that PO from Walmart 
And I knew I needed to, you know, have that partner that understood Walmart and understood other retailers like Whole Foods, which we were also in. And Hy-Vee came to us at a food show and said, I want you in all of our stores because we have educators that educate our community on diabetes and, and various illnesses. So I want you in our stores. So now retail is really picking up. I'm dependent on my co-packer. Um, I'm now ordering products from Italy to come over. I paid like $1.8 million in cash for to Italy to to deliver crackers and pasta. I went over there and worked and did R&D with them. So, And then I'm writing this cookbook that ended up being a national bestseller. I needed help. I just was spread so thin. And I have three kids that are teenagers. <laughs> so, And my husband's a physician, and he worked 10 years to get to where he was. So he didn't want to give up his practice and join me. So I was really spread thin. And again, I was just wooed by Steve. So I decided not to take the extra money and take the extra strategic that could help me with these grocery stores. That's really great to hear. Um, and obviously, we were connected through Steve, which is which is great. Um, Steve yeah, has been yeah. um, was a fantastic podcast guest, and had the opportunity to meet him in person when I was at Expo West last week, which was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it was super cool. <laughs> super cool. Obviously, I hope that that one day we're able to meet in person. I would love to also talk a little bit about distribution within retail because as you pointed out earlier, why would Walmart want cauliflower, right, in their in their stores, right? It's a premium product, it's a better for you product. It doesn't sound like a product that Walmart would sell. And I would love to kind of know your perspective. And of course, you you walked us through why they were interested. But I'd love to just walk us through your perspective of is now like the in within these better for you kind of healthy alternative products where the conventional retailers are now, you know, selling organic and and a lot more and maybe, you know, plant-based alternatives and and a lot and a, and a lot more of these types of uh, companies. Do you think that, that that now when it comes to retail that there is this that there is so much now overlap and it's hard to really distinguish what's like a conventional retail store versus a, you know, specialty or natural food store? I think so. But I also think the consumers are getting smarter. So the cheaper brands, especially in our category, have a lot of fillers. So they're not as healthy. I mean, some of the cauliflower pizza crust, you might as well get eat a Domino's pizza. It's really no different. So I think for Walmart, the buyer was new. She was very young and she was interested in health. And she's like, I think it's time for Walmart to create a healthier, uh, at least a couple doors of healthier products. And that's what she did. She was able to accomplish that. And her boss bought into it. And so she was excited about our brand. Again, she was a huge fan of Erin Opria. And we were using, I think we were one of the brands, I actually listened to Mark Sisson at a NOSH event and he talked about how he put like over 300 samples into influencers' hands and how he was really able to utilize influencers before they were charging a lot of money. Um, he was really using them. He was using his own customers as influencers. So I listened to that talk very closely and basically followed his model. And that's how we started using all these influencers and then had people like the cast of Hamilton reach out to us and the Walmart buyer. So I, I really think it had to do with just 
having some organic content out there and influencers that were truly passionate about the brand and didn't, weren't looking for a paycheck, uh, a heavy paycheck to promote a brand. Uh, let's learn more about your product strategy. Obviously, when you first started, you started with just the cauliflower pizza. This is when you were putting all of your own money into it, right? Didn't have any outside investment. How did you choose to launch new SKUs? So I saw some trends happening. I had already planned on launching crackers and I was the speaker at Nosh and I mentioned that. And then about six, six months later, crackers arrived, cauliflower crackers. I won't say the brand, but they were one of my judges at Nosh. And so I made a mistake of telling them my product line. And within six months, they had three SKUs of crackers, cauliflower crackers. Yeah. And he was my judge. So it was interesting, but I certainly couldn't eat his product with the ingredients that were in it. It was it would have made me very sick because of the inflammation and the lupus. So that was my interest in crackers is getting them out there, getting a cracker out there that I could eat and I could promote. So everything I've done is something that I can actually eat. Matter of fact, at the Las Vegas pizza show, I was approached by a co-packer, a pretty, he co-packs a lot of cauliflower products. And he said, Hey, I can make your, how much are you spending to get your product made? And at the time we didn't own our manufacturing plant. We do now. And I'm, I would love to talk about that in a moment, but at the time I was using a co-packer and he, and I told him how much I was paying the co-packer and, and that, by the way, that's one of my lessons I've learned. I am such a, like a handshake, tell people everything. (laughs) And I got so burned so many times that I really learned that you can, you have to be discreet. Um, and you have to be, do your due diligence before you trust certain people and don't tell people what you're planning to do (laughs) until you do it. But anyways, um, I told him how much we were paying and he's like, I can make it for half the price and you will, you will have such better margins and grocery stores are going to really look at that and look at your margins. And so I was like, okay, I'm really interested. So I came over to his booth, which is huge booth. And I tried his products and I was like, okay, tell me the ingredients in here. Cause he was making his own cauliflower pizza crust just to kind of play around with it. And I realized if I ate another bite of it, I was going to be sick that night. And I told him, I said, we use fresh cauliflower and I don't want to deviate from that. Cause I don't want to have to add fillers. And he's like, I don't touch fresh vegetables. I just, I don't do it. I do powder or I'll do puree, but I'll never touch a fresh vegetable. And I knew using powder or pureed cauliflower, you had to add fillers. And so I'm like, no, I can't do it because I'll be lying to my consumer. And I really believe if brands can just stay true to a mission or a cause and be authentic, it may take longer to be successful because maybe it is a higher priced item because you're using such clean ingredients, but it's worth it in the end. Like it's worth it. We will be one of the last cauliflower products standing. I guarantee it. People will be educated enough to read the labels. Well, what do you think about, you know, cause now there's so many and not just in cauliflower alternatives, but just better for you products out there. I mean, you know, I was at Expo last week and I feel like plant-based has become such like a buzzy word that it almost sounds like it's, you know, it's, if it's plant-based, oh, it's better for you. But then it's like, wait, hold on a lot. Maybe, maybe a lot of this is actually very processed and not so good for you. 
In your general sense, I mean, as you've seen, because you were there from a few years ago when you started, I feel like that was when it was first kind of becoming in. And I know that you were obviously one of the first cauliflower pizza companies. How do you think about like this whole trend of, you know, plant based or better for you? And if products are actually, you know, better for you or not? Yeah, I just think it's so important for the consumer to be educated. I think really good marketing brands can really sway the customer to pick up their product without reading the ingredients. And I think that is key. When we did a side-by-side comparison of the most popular cauliflower brands compared to ours, people were shocked. Buyers were shocked. Consumers were shocked. And of course, I ran it through the attorneys before we did it to make sure that we wouldn't get in trouble for showing that. And People were shocked. I mean, it was amazing. I'll say there's one very influential person. Her name is huge. She was a big Weight Watchers advocate. And she has a cauliflower pizza crust out there. And it's worse than Domino's. Like, the ingredients are just, you might as well eat Domino's. You might as well eat Domino's. And it's disappointing to see that. So I just, I've learned to read labels. I I try to educate our consumers to make sure they read labels because not everything is what it looks like on the front of the package. I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, one of the things when we were doing those survey monkeys at the time, we had the red pepper crust and the original Italian crust, and we kept getting requests for a true plant-based crust, no cheese, no dairy, just a true plant-based. So that's when we created three SKUs of plant-based crust for those consumers. And that was back in 2017. So we were seeing the trend then for plant-based. And we listened to our consumers and we put out those products. One of the people that was very, he's retired now, but he was in the food business for many, many years. He met with a lot of buyers. And I always remember him saying to me, Buyers aren't on the internet. They're not on social media. They're not watching what's happening. And the Walmart buyer is a great example of, yes, buyers are getting younger and younger at main grocery stores. I don't know if you've noticed that, but, and a lot of them are health conscious and they are looking online to see what's new, what's trending, what are people liking? And so I disagree with that person with all those years of experience that buyers are online, especially the newer buyers, and that it's very important to have a presence online, whether you have an e-com store or not, you need to be online educating your consumer about your product and really promoting your product. Definitely. And I think that is, um, you know, maybe like a major change that that buyers are now, you know, a lot more maybe mindful uh, being online and kind of understanding too. Because I mean, also what we talk about as well on the show is how, you know, Walmart and Target have become very aggressive in terms of bringing in, you know, brands, designated brands into their into their retail uh, uh, shops. And so definitely, uh, if since that's the case, buyers certainly are becoming way more active in terms of online and, and kind of understanding like what's out there. It's not just the trade shows. Mike Anderson came on as CEO and you decided to step down. What was that transition like? Since you were the one that built up cauliflower and and you know the brand and obviously it's it's on millions and millions in, in in year in revenue, what was that kind of transition like? Well, I love Mike Anderson. By the way, he's a very creative person, and he made stuff happen. Like he brought the enchiladas and the lasagna into the business into grocery. 
And that is one of our top selling SKUs now. And that was something we were doing at our little restaurant that we had in Chico, California. And he picked up on that right away. And he was all about innovation. And that is my, like, I love innovating new products and creating new SKUs. So he and I had that in common. And I was really drawn to his creative process. And we had interviewed a lot of CEOs Uh, potential CEOs. And that was Steve Hughes's top choice. And Mike was my number two choice. I'll admit that because he knows that (laughs) it wasn't my top choice, Uh, but he was my number two choice. And my top choice wasn't available because he was in the middle of selling a brand. So he wasn't available for months. And I knew because of what my family was going through, we had to move out of Northern California because of the fires. And then I had three teenagers that they started calling their dad, Dr. Mom, (laughs) that they were missing me. I was gone all the time. And so it was harder than I thought it would be. I've got to admit, I should have, I was in the brand. Once I let that position go, I needed to trust the process. And I, I realized that I had control issues, letting go of letting somebody else make all the decisions. It was really difficult. And I hear a lot of entrepreneurs say that when they start, because it's it was like my fourth child. And that's how I considered it. And decisions that were being made that maybe I didn't agree with, it felt like your child dating the wrong person. <laughs> you know, it, it just felt like that. And it doesn't mean that they were wrong and I was right. It just meant I was giving up control. And it's kind of like, when your kids turn a certain age and you've got to let go or they're never going to grow. And that's kind of how I thought of it. And, and I had a hard time as much as I loved Mike, I had a very hard time letting go. So was it, was it the board's decision to have you step down or was that, or, or was that your own decision? That was my own decision. I really felt like I needed to get people in there that had had experience. Now Mike had never been a CEO before. So that was one thing that maybe I should have looked at is I had some advisors telling me you need to hire somebody that's been a CEO before. Um, Mike was fabulous. And I just was very drawn to him from his innovation and his ability to get things done very fast, like the entrees. He moved at a very fast pace. And that's how we were moving before we brought in the strategic partners. And of course I was listening to everything that Steve Hughes wanted. And that was his number one choice. And he put in his nephew as our CMO. And then he also brought in his daughter-in-law to help build the brand. So some of the changes that they made right away that I agreed with was changing the packaging because we did that in house. We just kind of played around and did that in house. Nobody designed that for us, but us. And you could tell when you look at it side by side, it's an amateur versus a professional. And then they also updated the website, which I was begging them to do. We needed a, an updated website. And there were a few other things I really wanted to do that I still want to do. Like I would love a Cali club or some kind of a club. We started a membership, but I'd love to build that membership back up and really focus on email strategy again as well. But yeah, we we had a really strong team to start off with and we continue to have a very strong team with a lot of experience. And our current CEO is doing a fabulous job and now we have a new CMO and he's also doing a fabulous job and they come from Boulder Brands. So Steve knows them very well. And then we've got um, a fairly new CFO 
Um, but he's been in the food business his whole life. He's fairly young, I should say, not new. And he's doing a phenomenal job as well. So what is one book that has inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? Personally, uh, whenever anybody asks me this, I always go back to the four agreements. Because if you can live by the four agreements, then you're, you're doing things right. And people are going to recognize that you're going to have healthier relationships. I haven't always lived by the four agreements. And every time I sway from them, something happens, you know, personally with a relationship that isn't always the best. And then professionally, one of the books that's really helped me is the one thing. And it's really about focusing on one thing. And in 2018, when I was launching pasta crackers, we were the number one SKU on Amazon for our original Italian. And I was doing a cookbook. Often my team was like all over the place trying to help me. And I was all over the place. And I think the biggest mistake I've ever made or one of them happened during that time because I wasn't focused on the one thing, like just focusing on those main SKUs that were really helping drive the business that people recognized and not trying to do all these other things myself. And so that book, my husband made me read it and I've read it multiple times. And whenever I start, I call it squirreling and I'm all over the place because I want to do everything and do it right. But ultimately you don't do it right when you're trying to do too much. So I love that book. I highly recommend it. Another book I want to mention really quick also is Story Brand by Donald Miller. That really helped us in the marketing part of our business. And Boundaries by Henry Cloud because... I've had to set some serious boundaries with people to not get burned. And those handshakes often can burn you. And so really those books have helped me tremendously personally and professionally. That's great. Huge fan of The One Thing. I completely agree with you and your sentiments towards that one. I I still haven't checked out Story Brand, so I need to. I definitely need to. And uh, The Four Agreements is also great. Yeah. I don't think we've actually had anyone that to bring up story brand on the show. So we'll definitely add that to our, to our newsletter. My final question is what's maybe the best piece of advice that you have for, for entrepreneurs who are currently building. So for entrepreneurs in general, I, I talk about the five P's and I'll just go through them very, very quickly. Make sure your product is something you're passionate about. You got to have passion. Don't look at what's going to make you a dollar. Look at what you're truly passionate about. So typically that's, something that's helped you personally or somebody that you love. So passion is very important. People, I've already said this multiple times, surround yourself with people who have done that, been there before, like Patrick Leonozzi. I just chopped up his last name. He always says, hire hungry, humble, and emotionally intelligent people. And that's what I think my team was and the team that we currently have. Um, They're very passionate about the brand. They're hungry to create a successful brand and they all have emotional intelligence. So I think that's really important. Perseverance would be one of the biggest ones because you're going to have a ton of highs and a ton of lows and not a lot in between. So you've got to be willing to, on those really low days, the days where you trusted somebody that burned you or you made a mistake and it's cost you a lot of money, you got to be able to persevere through that and figure out what's going to allow you to keep going, to get up every day when you just want to pull the covers over your head and persevere through the lowness to get to the highness. Cause you're always going to get a high eventually if you just keep working at it. And the people that work 
harder are the people that are going to be harder than the competitors are the people that are going to be successful. I think Kobe Bryant said that. Um, but, and then paying it forward. I really believe in this. I, we used to have this website called Cali cares and we worked a lot with lupus foundation. We worked a little bit with American diabetes association and then some smaller foundations like step it up which mentors girls. And I just believe if you pay it forward, it's kind of like that Tom's shoes, buy one, we donate one free. I think people want to buy from people that, that are, that have a cause that they represent or that are just passionate about something that's helping somebody else. And so paying it forward, I think it always comes back to you tenfold. And I, I believe people buy from people, not always buy the product, but buy from people that they believe in and people that represent a cause that they align themselves with. Um, so I think that's really important as well. And then of course, product is the last thing. You've got to have a product that you are authentic, authentic brand. And you can look yourself in the mirror and you know that what you're putting out there is exactly what you're saying you're putting out there. So that's what I would say to entrepreneurs. If you can really surround yourself with people that have done it better than you, be humble enough to admit that you don't know everything. And all of the other P's I said, I talk about that a lot on podcasts. I, I think that really um, is why we have been so successful. Amy, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with me and for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been an honor. I love your podcast. I highly, I will be recommending it like I do story brand, but I really have enjoyed listening to your podcast. That's so kind. That's so kind. And there you have it. It was terrific chatting with Amy. I highly recommend checking out heyamylacy.com to learn more about her story and her approach to brand building. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. 